All right. So uh, welcome back, everyone, by the way. Last week, it, I was about to say, if you weren't here last week, if you weren't here last week, you did your job. <laughs> None of us were here this week, uh, last week. And if you did come, I sincerely apologize. Uh, we tried our best to get the word out. Uh, we just wanted to be really intentional about giving space for family and friends on that July 4th weekend. And so it's kind of the, the fun part about being a church this size. We can just say, like, hey, we're going to um, skip this one and come back all the better next week. So we're back. Uh, and two weeks ago, the last time we met uh, together, we did this really awesome project where I had all of you uh, that were here draw the street that you were uh, raised on. So like your hometown, like that street that you were raised on. And then on the other side of that, I had you guys draw the street that you now live on. And we were talking about faith as disruption. And that is literally such a good title, I almost giggled when I saw it on the board. Um, and basically, we were talking about how disruption can kind of shape our lives, and it's the moments that we feel disrupted, it's the moments where conflict comes in that really make us course correct, that kind of guide us along the path and along the journey. And so what we did is we came up, uh, there was a mirror here, and we all placed the street that we lived on and the street that we now live on, recognizing that there's a road or a path in between all that. And then the crazy thing, and I did not plan this, but I'll totally take credit for it, is when we put all of those on the mirror as we're looking at ourselves as we put that up, all the roads connected uh, in a really cool way, which was crazy. And I was like, okay, that's like only something that God could do with art. So that was really, really cool. And Bobby wasn't here, so I made you all do the artwork, <laughs> which was awesome. Um, but basically, what I want to talk about this week is sort of an extension of that idea of that path and that journey, but I want us to focus specifically on the present, like what it means to start, what it means to jump into this faith thing, uh, and how that's going to interact with our daily lives. So before I do that, let me pray. Um, there's a lot to tackle. Uh, we're also going to be talking about the band Journey, uh, my CRV, and a guy named Abraham. So that's a lot to get through, and I don't want to get distracted, so let me pray. Lord, thank you so much again for this morning. Uh, I pray over this topic uh, of Journey, and we're going to learn why I don't like that word, uh, but why we're going to take it back. Amen. Um, so I must start with a public service announcement. I have never liked the band uh, Journey. You know, it's very controversial. And it's going to matter a lot once I get through this story. So uh, to, to start this story, we have to go way, way, way back in my journey uh, to about when I was like 11 to 12 years of age. And uh, I was living in Amsterdam at that time, my family was. But on, during the summers, we would come back uh, and we would spend the summer somewhere in California because we had lived in Sacramento before that. And so it was kind of like home. So we came back. And this summer, we spent the whole summer lucky enough to be able to spend it in Santa Cruz. Anyone ever been to Santa Cruz? It's like one of the most gorgeous sleepy beach towns like in the world. Uh, and we were four blocks from the beach. We had this little bungalow. So awesome, right? And you'd think that being 11 years old and being four blocks from the beach would be just like paramount and awesome, and I would be like at the beach constantly. But for an 11-year-old that was in a foreign country, there was something far, far greater that was much closer to home, and that was cable television. <laughs> so we didn't have cable, and we didn't really have TV over that because it was all in Dutch and like... I was an American, so I'm not going to learn their language. <laughs> That's a joke. Um, no, I was in international school, and I didn't speak the language. So um, we're, uh, we're at this international school. Everything's in Dutch. And then I come back to the States, and I realize that there's this whole world of like 180 Comcast cable channels that I can absorb and watch. Things like Nickelodeon, which I had never experienced before, the Disney Channel. But I found this one channel that for an 11-year-old is kind of odd for them to love. But I took to it like crazy. It was called VH1. And VH1 was glorious to me 
Uh, because like we had MTV, but we didn't have VH1. And what VH1 had for my little nerdy self was a program called Behind the Music. You guys remember Behind the Music? So at 11 years old, I discovered my love for rock documentaries. Um, and I remember going an entire day, an entire day was wasted or well spent, however you want to call it, uh, watching Behind the Music four blocks from the beach in Santa Cruz, California. And I, remember, I saw one on Leif Garrett. Do you guys remember who that was? <laughs> uh, I don't, again, never listened to Leif Garrett, but fascinated by his story. Uh, there was one on the B-52s. Uh, and then there was one, and I remember it so vividly, uh, of this 80s supergroup with these guys with these long curly hair called Journey. I never heard of Journey, but I realized one profound thing watching that documentary, their music was terrible. <laughs> and even at 11, I was like, I don't, this is not for me. I like the story, I love this documentary thing, but the music, not so much. Little did I know, this band would shape my life in big, big ways coming up. So fast forward a couple years later, my family's moved back to the States, and we're in uh, California again, and I started playing music. My music, like, music was always kind of a big thing in my family, and my dad played guitar, and so I started playing guitar, and this interesting thing happened where three of my best friends all got musical instruments for Christmas the same year, including myself. So I got a guitar, one got a bass, and the other was playing drums a little bit before that, but finally got a drum set. And that Christmas day, we all phoned each other up and figured out that we had all gotten instruments, and I was like, well, we should all play together. None of us had played these instruments at all. I knew like two chords, uh, the drummer could sort of keep a beat, and the bass player just had no idea what he was doing. <laughs> but we got together, and I found that like, even if you're terrible at this, this is a blast. Like, it was so profound. It was a moment for me where I was like, whoa, this is something I really want to do with my life. It just like overcame me. I was like, I, I'm having so much fun, even though this probably sounds awful, and like, God bless our parents, because they dealt with it for so long, but we were just jangling in a garage, just making music and having a blast. And we kept doing it. So we did it for weeks on end, and then we started getting lessons, and we started getting a little bit better. And I think the fun part was we were all kind of excelling at the same time. And when it came time, we, we decided, you know what, it's time that we played a show. Because I'd seen a lot of behind the music, and you got to play a show, right? So searching around for places to play, there's some teen centers. We kind of like dip our feet in the water there and, and play some awful teen center shows and stuff like that. But then there was this Bay Area-wide music competition. So it was a battle of bands, and it was called Showtime, uh, not Showtime, Showdown. It had like all these like Western fonts and very awful like graphics and everything. But uh, the prize for winning this was a couple things. You got like a wad of cash, a couple guitars, like a lot of gear. It's like more than my 16-year-old self could even handle. We didn't want to win this thing at all. All we wanted to do was we saw an opportunity to play a show and someone would put us on a stage. So I was like, let's submit our demo tape. So we submitted our demo tape, and it turns out a lot of people submitted their demo tapes because there were about 120 bands in this thing all together. Uh, we are far and away the youngest and most novice in this competition. We're not expecting anything. We just want to have a good time, and we want to play. So we played. Oh, I forgot to mention, the name of our band was the Blue Kazoo. So how can you lose with a name that awesome? Uh, we played, and because we were about 16, most of our high school showed up. And that really gave us a leg up, and there was a little gimmicky factor. We all had, I had hair back then, so it was like moppy and down there. Um, and we were just sort of like Death Cab meets Justin Bieber. It was really fantastic and awful all at the same time. Um, we played, and we won. We won the first round. Like, it, much to our surprise, we're like, oh my gosh, like, we're going to go on to, we get to play another show. A month later, the other show comes up, and we actually won that one. I mean, it keeps going, and then we get to the finals, 
And at the finals, we're like, what is going on? And all the, all the while, our high school had been showing up for us. Like, our friends were just really good to us. And combine that with the fact that we're 16 years old, our name is the Blue Kazoos. I mean, there's just a lot going on. It was just probably, like, heartbreaking for them to say, no, you've lost. So they just keep advancing us. <laughs> and finally, the finals happen. And they start listing off from like the fifth position to the first, like who's going to win. So they, they name all the bands, and they've gotten to number two. And I literally just looked at my bass player friend, Daniel, who's one of my best friends to this day. And I was like, let's just go home. I don't want to like, deal. And, and all of a sudden, we heard the Blue Kazoos, like number one. We had won the whole thing. So we didn't know this coming in, but along with those other prizes was an even bigger prize. And that's why most of the other bands were in it. We learned it kind of like trickling down the road, but we didn't know what band it would be. But the prize of this Battle of the Bands was to open up for a very large rock group. That's all we knew. We are like, it's going to be a big rock and roll act, and you're going to get to open. So like, that was enough for us to go, like, that's awesome. Uh, it turns out that that rock and roll group was Journey. <laughs> and I had a moment where it was like, you, you guys remember, like, we've all had that one relationship where like, your friends are like, dude, she is not cool. Or like, he is not cool, but you can be, no, they're awesome. They're really cool. Like, I promise you, they're really cool. And you convince yourself until you finally come to. I dove head into Journey. Like, just like, I'm going to buy all the CDs. <laughs> I'm going to watch all the YouTube videos. What was I thinking? This group is great. So we open up for Journey, and it's one of those very typical like, situations when you're the opener uh, for a very large act. Like, people just sort of kind of pay attention to you, and it was, you know, it was a blast. Our parents had a blast. They were, they were up front, like, screaming, and everyone else was just kind of like getting hot dogs. and like, what are those people? Um, and... Uh, yeah, so not many people paid attention, but there was one person that was paying a lot of attention, and that was the guitar player for Journey. And he approached us afterwards, and he said, hey, I really think you guys are, are fun, and I think you're special. I would really like to uh, record your first record. Like, I'd like to produce it. I'd like to pay for it and do all that. I was flabbergasted. Um, the other funny part is that I didn't understand who he was when he approached us, too, so I just thought this was like some very plasticky man. I was like, oh, yeah, well, who are you with? He's like, I'm... I'm with Journey. <laughs> and I was like, oh, OK, cool. Yes, you can produce our record. Um, so we dove straight into this weird Journey subculture. They're from the Bay Area, where I was from. And so like, they have like, deep, deep roots in this community. Um, and like, the happy like, fairy tale ending of the story would be like, we made this record, and it was great. And then we, we went on tour, and we did all of that. And it never really happened like that at all. In fact, what happened, it was like two or three years of trying to make this record happen, but we had to work around his schedule, and so it never really came together. And then it got sold to another record label, and to this day, we don't have it. Like, I, I don't even have a copy of it. Um, so it's like three years of my life, and I'm like, can I at least just hear it? <laughs> uh, but anyway, so from there, because the record wasn't really doing all that well, they said, well, why don't we just put you on tour with us? So we ended up, like, touring a little bit with Journey and opening up for them. And I heard Don't Stop Believing like a gazillion freaking times. Please do not play that song around me. <laughs> uh, and then that led to this weird trickle down where the guitar player was like, well, my son is really good at guitar. He was. He was very good. Why doesn't he join your band as like the lead guitar player? So we toured with him. And then that got us in this even weirder subculture of Journey. I don't know if you guys know this. There are like a string of very professional Journey cover bands with awful names like Evolve and uh, Scarab was one of them. <laughs> Just terrible names. And we would have to open up for those people. And then we did a Journey cruise. Like, it was just getting very dark very, very quickly. And I remember having a very profound moment one morning when I woke up and I graduated from high school. And I was like, man, is this what I want for my life? Is this it? Like, I mean, because it's. But on paper, it looks really good. Like, we're, 
were involved with this really large band who I like, <laughs> and we're able to move forward, and it seems like there's a lot of opportunity here. Why do I feel like so empty about this? Like, why don't I feel like this is what I'm supposed to be doing? And I had a very, very interesting moment where I, I woke up, I went downstairs, I talked to my parents, and I was like, I think I want to go to school. And they literally, like, hallelujah, because they were like, we never thought he'd go to school. <laughs> like, ah! um, so I, I signed up for music school in Los Angeles. I packed everything I owned into my 2003 CRV, which we just sold this week, RIP CRV. Uh, and drove down to start this new adventure because something within me profoundly whispered, go. It was like a deafening whisper, like, go. You need to go. And what I want to talk about this morning in regards to faith is that is almost always God's message to us in this life of faith. Go. Like, go. I have so much more for you than this, and you're staying in one place, and I'm calling you to something greater. And it's going to be risky, and it's going to be awesome, and it's going to be so scary. But go. So what I want to do is um, talk about a uh, story in the Bible that really reflects this. And it's a guy uh, named Abraham. And right now, as we meet him in the scripture, this is like, if you flip all the way to the beginning of your Bible, uh, this is like chapter 12 in there in Genesis. We're right at the beginning of the story. We've only had a couple key characters. There's been Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, uh, Noah. So this happens after the whole flood scenario. This happens after like the Tower of Babel, which we talked about a few weeks ago. This is uh, Genesis 12, and we meet this man named Abram. Right now he's named Abram. Later on he's called Abraham. So like for the sake of uh, less confusion, I'm just going to call him Abraham the whole time. But in the scripture, he's going to be referred to as Abram. Uh, but this guy basically becomes the father of this great nation, Israel. And God calls him out specifically and says, hey, I want you to be the father of this great nation, and this nation is going to be marked in a special way. It's not going to be like the other tribes that are around that are known for how much they accumulate or how much power they have. This tribe is going to be known for the way in which they interact with me. So you are going to be marked by the way that you follow me, by the way you trust me. So let's go to, this is when we first first meet Abraham. It's called the call of Abraham. It says, the Lord uh, had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. So let's stop right there for a second. Go from your country, your people, your family. He's setting it up. It's like, your life is very put together right now. You have a family. You have a people. You have a country. And you've been here, right? Um... Yeah, to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. So first off, we don't know a whole lot about Abraham's backstory. He's only mentioned one time before this chapter, and it's just in a genealogy. And that's basically to show us that, like, he's a part of this tribe that has been here a very long time. So right off the bat, here's what we know. We know that he's 75 years old, which is crazy. He's lived life. I don't know about you guys, but I would hope to be pretty settled down uh, in the world at that point. And to start this journey would have been crazy at 75. Number two, he spent all of those years in a single place. And that's important because this particular place reveals a lot about what kind of uh, person Abraham is. 
He's intelligent, he's calculated, and like a lot of us in this room, he's a planner. He actually comes from a family of like professional planners. Like if you think your, your GCAL game is on point, this guy used the stars. Okay, so he's from this place um, called Chaldea. And that doesn't really matter, it's just a throwaway. They call it Ur or Chaldea. So Chaldea is this, this uh, place that is synonymous with the Chaldeans who lived there, and that word literally means astronomer in Greek. So Chaldean and astronomer are basically the same thing. This was a culture that defined itself by what the stars would tell it. And they would plan months and months and months in advance, studying like the cycles of the sun and the moon to figure out when it was gonna rain, to figure out when there was gonna be a drought. All of this stuff was planned to a T. This is one of the first like planning cultures and they would do that weeks out and they would trust because they go, we have a calculated way of figuring out how all this stuff works. We don't need to rely on anything else because we have the stars and they tell us what we need to do. So if Abraham comes from that kind of a culture, right, and he spent 75 years there, he spent 75 years looking up at the stars and having that inform the direction of his life. 75 years. And it sounds like he's pretty successful because like it says, I want you to take up everything you own, all this stuff, which implies that like he had a lot going on. And this is where faith gets really fun and really tricky. I just picture Abraham for 75 years looking up at those stars in just glorious wonder. Like, imagine it's ancient times, there's not a light bulb in sight, you're gonna see tons and tons of stars. And for 75 years he looked up there and I wonder how many times he felt that go, but just said like, no, 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 not now, no, not now. Like that's the stuff we don't hear. All we hear is that one time at 75 years old, God shows up and says to Abraham, go, and he listens right away. And that could be, or it could also be that he encountered something so beautiful that it slowly changed him over time. As he stared in the beauty of the stars, he was able to kind of absorb that and then maybe start thinking, hey, maybe there's something more than this. Maybe there's something behind those stars that makes it so that we can read them, right? And I think what's really important about this story is when Abraham goes, it's a huge leap of faith, yes, but there's also another moment here that we have to be really, really careful of. If you were a Chaldean, your whole life was based around these stars. It was everything, right? So if Abraham comes back into his crew, his tribe, and goes, hey guys, guess what? There is this God, <laughs> he made the stars, and I'm gonna go follow him out into a foreign land. Basically, his spiritual understanding, his theology had changed to such a point that even if he wanted to stay, the tribe probably would have kicked him out because his faith had grown. And I think that's where we get into trouble. A lot of us will start the journey of faith, right? Like, yeah, that sounds awesome. We're super fired up. And then little things begin to get in the way, things that shouldn't hinder us, but they do because they're important. Things like, politics or even just the religion of it all, like these little rules start getting in the way where we just go like, I can't, I can't abide by that. And as our faith progresses, we choose to just walk away from it rather than let that doubt do the work it's supposed to do and churn us back out in a better way. 
I'd like to also point out the fact that like, it was probably easy for Abraham, it, it, when you're reading this, to say, like, God's like, I'm basically going to make you a king, so <laughs> go out into the world. Like, it, for us, that seems like a pretty easy call to answer. Like, a lot of us in our lives are like, you'll be working at Kinko's for the next seven years. <laughs> this is what I have for you, right? I mean, there, there are moments like that where it's not as grand and not as special, and I think there's such a danger to that. This is why Christianity suffers, because the call is just not that compelling when we frame it in sort of a modern Christian sense. It's just not that, where's the adventure? Come follow Jesus. Like, why? Well, because, like, rules. <laughs> You're like, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, seriously, why follow Jesus? You're like, well, because, like, hell is a thing. Like, that, oh, that's not that compelling either. So, like, where's the adventure in this journey? Where, where do, like, I get to step out? Where's the fun? Where's the, the, the risk? And the truth is that, like, true faith, the stuff that moves us forward in the world, the stuff that would cause Mother Teresa to live a life of healing, the stuff that would embolden Martin Luther King Jr. to march for peace, that is what real faith can give us if we hold on to it. If we're willing to view how large and how glorious it is, then real faith can cause us to do extraordinary, extraordinary things. Because God is always whispering to us, go, go, I have so much more for you. Abraham actually gets asked to go twice in his lifetime, and whenever um, something is repeated in scripture, it bears sort of like paying attention to. There's a reason that they're using the same language. So the first is a call out of security, right? So they say, go, I want you out of your land, out of your safety net, out of everything that you know, and I'm going to bring you to this greater place. You've got to trust that. And then the next call as he leaves is a call back in. And it's a call where he says, like, go and wander the land. So here, let's read this. This comes out of um, chapter, uh, uh, chapter 13. Uh, he says, look around from where you are. This is God talking to Abraham. Look around from where you are to the north and the south, to the east and the west, all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Let's pay real close attention to this last line. He says, go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So this is God literally calling Abraham back into something. So yes, there is risk and it's crazy. It's 75 to step out of your family bounds and to believe something greater is huge. But then God's follow-up is like, yeah, but look, I'm calling you into this. And the walk thing is really important. So in ancient cultures, if you were given a gift of land, or uh, if you go like a slightly darker route and you've conquered that land, uh, but let's stick with the gift analogy for now. If you're given a gift of like a, a plot of land, the way to accept that gift and the way to say thank you for that gift was to walk along its border. So it was a symbol of saying, I've seen all that you've given me, and thank you. I'm accepting the gift. I don't know if that's ringing any bells for us, but there's Jesus' last thing with us, right? You're at the, the end of each gospel. And he looks out over all the disciples after like dying and rising again. All this crazy stuff has happened. The story of Jesus has happened. And he looks at him and he says, go out into all the earth and make disciples of all nations. Basically, go to every single culture. Go to the people that don't live like you, love like you, learn like you, all of that stuff. Go to those people 
and share this good news. Because essentially when you go and you walk the good news that I have shown you and walk those boundaries, you are saying thank you and you are accepting that gift. That's the beauty of faith. When we start and we walk in faith, we are accepting that beautiful gift of salvation that God gives to us from the cross to resurrection. And that's what makes this stuff powerful. That's what makes it compelling. The journey is crazy. And I just realized I've said journey a lot today and I finally like it again, so we're good. <laughs> I want us to be called into something greater. So I mentioned that CRV uh, thing in the beginning. Um, I am a huge meat freak, so like our apartment is generally spotless. I love a deep clean. Like I am the nerd that will like throw in the podcast, slap on the gloves, and three hours later I'm like, I'm having a great time. Uh, but there's one thing that completely like, escapes my neat freakism, and it's our car. Uh, our car is parked right out there, and if you want to see it when you walk out, you're going to see what I mean. Like, it's possibly the dirtiest car in all of existence. And that has always been the case with Chelsea and I's cars. I don't know why it is. I think it's just I'm out of energy by the time I get to a car, so I'm like, I'm not cleaning this. Uh, so pile of debris will, will show up over time. And this one car that we had, 280,000 miles on it, I had driven it on a bunch of tours and I had driven it, it was the same one that I packed all my belongings in and drove it down here. That car died like literally a year and a half ago and it's just been sitting in our garage. Again, neglect, I don't know what's wrong with me, but it's been there for that long. And I hadn't cleaned it like literally for years before that, right? So it was just this lingering thing in the back of my head where I was like, I really gotta take care of that car. But I would always have some excuse to go like, no, 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 no I can't do that today because whatever, right? I literally called uh, this, this towing company, and in 10 minutes, they were at my place and taking the car away. It was so easy, but I had built it up in my mind that like, this was gonna be so difficult to start. Like, I've, it's been in there a year and a half. It's gonna be so difficult for me to go in there and to clean everything and to do it, and then once I actually started, I realized that it was super easy all along. To start that process was just picking up the phone and I thought I had to like do this whole song and dance routine and like go to the DM. No, just pick up the phone. I think God whispers go to us on a regular basis, but we find all sorts of little tiny excuses that can get in the way because we think that starting that journey is going to be really difficult. But in fact, it's just beautiful and awesome. And the journey is going to be difficult. Like that's the whole point. It's going to be difficult, but starting is not hard. Starting is the easiest part. Because once we start, we're on that journey. We're there. Can't do anything about it. So I want to invite you guys uh, to start. Not just this morning, but this week. Whenever you feel comfortable, but like start. Go, as God would say. Uh, we're going to practice communion this morning uh, and remember what Christ has done for us. And as we do this, I just... I, I pray you'd be praying uh, about that line, just go, and what that means in your life, and what that means this week, what that means this summer, what that means for your friends and your family, all that good stuff. Uh, come, you can just take a little piece of challah, we're all about calories here, you can dip it into the grape juice and eat it, trust me, it's actually delicious. Um, and then this is the largest piece of technology we have here at Resonate, this is um, our community box, 
and you can drop your community cards in here. And I also want to tell you, it's going to be gone from this table pretty soon because we're going to try and separate where we are generous and all that community from the communion table. There's always one in the lobby, either on your way out or on your way in. Uh, there's a couple in there, I think, so you can drop this at any time uh, with no added pressure kind of coming and everyone watching. Also, the other thing I want to mention and make very, very clear is that uh, if you're not in a space where you want to take communion this morning, that is totally, totally fine. Just uh, remain seated, hang out. Um, you can either take a walk, whatever you'd like to do. Uh, I just invite you to, to join in, in that process. Um, let's stand together. I'm going to pray, and then the band's going to play, and then if the first row would come down, uh, come grab communion, and then so on, second row, third row, we'll do that. All right, let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much um, just for faith and for the journey of it. I, I recognize that in this room right now, there are many, many different stages represented in that journey. And that's the beautiful part about a church, is that we get to come together with all of those stages and all of those things, but we get to join, and we're supposed to be doing this together. We're never called out on this journey alone. So I pray that you just strengthen this little community, um, grow our church, help us through the summer, help us through the fall and the winter. And just uh, I, I pray especially that we would all learn together where we need to start, where we need to go. 